This document was agreed upon by theologians throughout the world in 1619 and has come to us uh, through the church and through the ages, a great blessing of the Lord. So Article 12, the assurance of election. Assurance of this, their eternal and unchangeable election to salvation, is given to the chosen in due time, though by various stages and in differing measure. Such assurance comes not by inquisitive searching into the hidden and deep things of God, but by noticing within themselves, with spiritual joy and holy delight, the unmistakable fruits of election pointed out in God's Word, such as a true faith in Christ, a childlike fear of God, a godly sorrow for their sins, a hunger and thirst for righteousness, and so on. Article 13, the fruit of this assurance. In their awareness and assurance of this election, God's children daily find greater cause to humble themselves before God, to adore the fathomless depth of His mercy, to cleanse themselves and to give fervent love in return to Him who first so greatly loved them. This is far from saying that this teaching concerning election and reflection upon it make God's children lax in observing His commandments or carnally self-assured. By God's just judgment, this does usually happen to those who casually take for granted the grace of election or engage in idle and brazen talk about it, but are unwilling to walk in the ways of the chosen. And then I invite you to turn to the Word of God to uh, the first letter of John, chapter 5. 1 John 5, beginning of verse 1, you can find that on page 1,304. I was told this week that, uh, or last week rather, that the cadets have trouble finding passages in the Bible, and perhaps that's because I always announce the page number. Well, that might well be. And uh, so, if you don't need the page number, don't use it, but if you do, it's handy to have, I'm sure. 1 John 5, beginning at verse 1. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey His commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments. And His commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood. And these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. 
For this is the testimony of God that he has borne concerning his Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Over the past number of weeks, we've been looking together at the great doctrine of election. Election is God's uncoerced, unforced choice of those whom He wishes to share in the salvation that Christ has purchased by His death on the cross. It is a choice that was made before the foundation of the world, made only because of reasons God has within Himself to make that choice. An election is the source of every other spiritual blessing that we enjoy as Christian believers. All those whom the Father has given to the Lord Jesus Christ will one day come to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, will enjoy forgiveness of sins, justification before God, sanctification by the Spirit, and the certain hope of eternal life when they die or when Christ returns in glory. Election is the fountain, and every other spiritual blessing flows from that fountain. If you are elect, you will be forgiven. You will be a believer. You will fight against sin. You will trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you are not elect, then none of these blessings will be yours, either in this life or in the life to come. And so you can imagine why the question, am I elect, is a question that has plagued Christians throughout the generations. It is a vitally important question, of course, because if everything hinges on election as the source of all God's grace, then I want to know if I'm elect. John Newton, the great hymn writer and pastor and former trade slater, he who wrote Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound That Saved a Wretch Like Me, also wrote this poem. It goes like this, the first verse at least. "'Tis a point I want to know. Oft it causes anxious thought. Do I love the Lord or no? Am I His or am I not?' Am I his or am I not? Do I belong to the great company of elect chosen from before the foundation of the world because God had set his love upon them? I'm sure you children could understand how important this question is if I give this illustration. Imagine, children, that your parents have said that they are going to a three-week holiday in Rome. They're going to see the Colosseum in Rome and the Forum and the places where the chariot races were held. 
They're going to see the Sistine Chapel take a high-speed train down to Pompeii and examine the ruins there when Mount Vesuvius erupted in 79 AD. You're going to swim in the uh, Bay of Naples and in the Mediterranean Sea. You're going to see all kinds of old architecture, eat delicious pizza and gelato. And they say to you, here are all our children, and we are going to choose our children who are going to come with us on the trip. Well, you better believe that you're going to be asking, did you choose me, Daddy? Did you choose me? I want to go. Am I chosen? Because you recognize that to be chosen means to enjoy the blessings of this holiday. And you want to know, you want to know, am I chosen or am I not? Well, the same thing holds with election. Since election is such a great, great grace, we want to know, do we belong or do we not? Well, the Scriptures tell us that it is certainly possible for us to know whether we are elect or not. It's not something that we have to wait till the end, till we actually arrive in heaven to find out. It's not something that we need to doubt the whole of our life. Just think of what the Apostle Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 4 to the Thessalonian Christians. You remember how they had been pagans, and Paul had preached the gospel to them, and they had believed the gospel. They had received his word as if it were the word of God. They had turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven. And listen to what Paul says. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you. The apostle Paul knew that the Thessalonian Christians were elect from before the foundation of the world. We know, brothers loved by God, that He has chosen you. And here in 1 John 5, the reason that the Apostle John, the aged Apostle John, wrote to his dearly loved children in the faith, these Christians whom he had such an affection for, the reason he wrote this letter to them was evidently because some of them were struggling with the question, am I his or am I not? Do I have eternal life or do I not have eternal life? And he says, I am writing these things to you that you may know that you have eternal life. So he's writing this for the very purpose so that they might have assurance of salvation so that they might have confidence that they have eternal life, meaning as well that they might have confidence that God had chosen them from before the foundation of the world. It's written so that they might have the assurance of election. Now, throughout the history of the church and up to the present day, not all believers or people who call themselves Christians would say this. The Roman Catholic Church has stated throughout its history that it is impossible for anyone to know with certainty that he or she is elect. And part of the doctrine of the Roman Catholic Church is to instill some doubt in you so that you must needs keep coming back to the church for some spiritual help. And the Arminians, those with whom uh, the writers of the canons of Dort were dialoguing, they would say that... Uh, 
It is impossible for anyone to know with any certainty that they will have eternal life. And in part, this makes sense considering their theology because they have placed an undue emphasis on the importance of the human decision. I'm saved because I have the free will and the ability to choose for God, unaided by grace. And here's the problem. I might believe today, but who knows what I'm going to do tomorrow. Much less do I know how I will feel ten years from now so that in their theology one could be saved today and, and lost tomorrow, only to be saved the next day but to be lost by the afternoon of that day. And so there can never be any assurance if our confidence must rest on fickle human decision. And then, of course, there are some within the Reformed camp who say that assurance of faith is unattainable for any Christian. In fact, they might even say, some of them would go so far as to say, that if you think you're a Christian, if you have any confidence that God is your Father, that's a good sign that you're probably not, because you've been caught in the jaws of presumption, taking Christ when He doesn't belong to you, as if you could take Him yourself. And these preachers place so much emphasis on what is happening inside the person rather than what has happened in Christ, that they sow the seeds of doubt. And because they're so concerned about self-delusion, they rob all of God's people of any sense of assurance of grace and any confidence that the Father smiles upon them in love. And so over against these teachers, we say on the basis of the Word of God that it is possible for Christians to know that they are elect. That in answer to the question, am I his or am I not, we can come to the conclusion, I am. By grace, I am. The Father has chosen me, the Son has died for me, and the Holy Spirit of God has brought me into a living faith with our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says it, we know, brothers loved by God, that He has chosen you. Yeah, you say, but that's the Apostle Paul. He, he had the Spirit. He was given revelation. So that's how he knew. No, that's not how he knew. But even if that were how he knows… And we could put him aside for a minute. Here in our text this evening, the Apostle John is writing to ordinary Christians like you and me, and he's saying to you and to me who believe in the Son of God, I've written these things so that you may know that you have eternal life, so that when you rest your head upon the pillow at night, you can go to sleep in confidence that if you should die before you wake, the Lord your God, your soul, will take. I've written these things so that you may know. So how do we know whether we are elect or not? How can we answer the question, am I His or am I not? Well, before I get to answer that question, I think it's important to know that there is the possibility of people thinking they are elect 
when in actuality they aren't. It's possible to think that you're a Christian when you're not a Christian. And perhaps there are some here this evening who have never given it a thought whatsoever. They say, yeah, of course I'm an elect. Of course I'm a Christian. I've been a Christian all my life. I remember when I was younger speaking with young people who gave no evidence at all that they were Christians, who lived a life of partying, of drunkenness and sexual immorality, of coarse language and blasphemy, but they never had any doubt whatsoever that they were born of God and that if they were to die that evening, they would go to heaven. But not so fast here, our Lord Jesus would say. Remember those sobering words that he gave in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 7, the verses 21 to 23. He says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And he will say, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. That is, these people thought that because of their proximity with Jesus or to Jesus, because they had seen him in their streets, they had heard him preach the gospel, because they had even somehow been enabled to do miracles in his name, they thought because of all those things, they were undoubtedly a Christian and that Jesus was without any doubt their Lord, and should they appear before him on the judgment day, absolutely he would welcome them. Why wouldn't he? And that's a problem that has plagued the church throughout its history. It doesn't matter where. It doesn't matter at what time. There have always been people who sit in the congregation of God's people who think they are elect when they have no reason or ground to think they do. I've been baptized. Of course I am. I grew up in the church. I made profession of faith. I've done all these things. And of course I'm a Christian. Who would be so silly to think that I wasn't? And they have all the encouragement from others around them. People say, yes, you're a Christian. We're all Christians after all, aren't we? Or they sit under a minister whose preaching is all about the love of God. And uh, there's no preaching of the eternal, the sobering eternal realities of heaven and hell and judgment and salvation in Jesus Christ. And and people are lulled into sleeping thinking that they're going to heaven when actually they're on their way to hell. Or it's not even sitting under a, a, a liberal ministry. It's possible to sit under an orthodox ministry where all the I's are dotted and the T's of the confessions are crossed. But there is never pressed upon the congregation the necessity of a new birth. Unless you are born again, you will not enter the kingdom of God. There's never pressed upon the congregation the words that the Apostle John here writes in 1 John 5. Whoever has the Son has life, and whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. And so the warnings of Scripture and the threats of Scripture are not pressed home to the hearts and consciences of the congregation. And so they become careless and lethargic and presumptuous and think, yes, I'm okay. Of course I'm okay. It's like children 
you wondering, am I chosen for this trip or am I not? And, and, and you, you don't know, and so you're somewhat anxious about it. Your brothers and sisters, of course you are. Yeah, for sure you'll go. And your neighbor, because he doesn't want you to be uh, worried about things. He's just a friendly old chap. He says, I'm sure your parents will choose you as well. That's what can happen within a context of a church where people are lulled into thinking they are believers and en route to glory and having been chosen from before the foundation of the world, but there's no grounds, there's no reasons for them to think so about themselves. You might remember the words of our Lord Jesus. I gave you the words that he spoke in his ministry. Now I'm going to give you the words that he spoke after he was exalted to the right hand of the Father as he speaks to the church in Laodicea. Now listen to this. Listen, I urge you. The Laodicean Christians, Jesus says to them, I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, listen to this, for you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing. I'm elect, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Such rank presumption in the church of Laodicea, thinking they had it all when they actually had nothing at all. And so there's a possibility of a false assurance, of a confidence that has no biblical grounding. But just because that's true, that doesn't mean that we can't have true assurance. Just because some might deceive themselves, that doesn't mean that all will deceive themselves. And just because some shouldn't have assurance because they have no reason to, doesn't mean that no one should have assurance. We can know. I have written these things to you so that you know that you have eternal life. So how do we attain to assurance of our election? Well, I suppose if you could look into the book of life, it would be rather easy, wouldn't it? You know from uh, the Scriptures that God has written before the foundation of the world in His book of life the names of those who He has chosen for eternal life. And if you could look at that book, like the contacts, uh, contacts list on your phone and click it and then type in your name and see if you're there, that'd be rather easy. It's like, children, if, if your parents had written on a piece of paper uh, all the names of those who they've chosen to go with them to this uh, grand trip, and, but the list was in the bedroom, if you could only get into the bedroom and see the list, it, it would put all your fears to doubt, I mean, to rest. You wouldn't worry about it anymore. But that list is in your parents' bedroom. That's off limits to you. And similarly, the book of life is hidden with God. We cannot access it at all. Our uh, confession wisely says that, that we shouldn't come to assurance by inquisitive searching and into the hidden and deep things of God. So it's not by looking into the book of life. 
You have no access. The secret things belong to the Lord, the things revealed to us and to our children. Deuteronomy 29, verse 29. Well, how then? If we can't find out from reading the book of life, how do we know, am I his or am I not? And the answer the Bible gives to that is this, not by looking into the book of life, but by looking into the book of your life. That is, by self-examination, by seeing if God has done a work of grace in you. This is exactly what the Apostle John does in his letter. And he repeats this over and over again from different angles. He actually gives three tests, three marks of Christians so that if in the examination of your life you see these three things within you, well, then you can know that you have eternal life. Because if you didn't have eternal life, these things wouldn't show up in your life. So he says the first mark is that you know Jesus Christ. You confess him as Lord and Savior. Look at what he says in 1 John 5 verse 1. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ, has been born of God. How do I know that I'm born again? Well, I believe that Jesus is the Christ. Or listen to what he says in 1 John 5, verse 5. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Uh, Verse 12, whoever has the Son has life. Verse 13, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. So here's the first mark of grace, the first fruit of election. It is that you have come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as the Son of God, as the Christ, the gift of God to sinners, to be the prophet to teach you, to be the king to rule over you, and to be your priest, to die as a sacrifice for your sins in order that you might be reconciled to God. If you have Christ, you have life. And this is not simply a knowledge about Christ, but this is, I need this Christ or I will die in my sins. That kind of conviction, that's the first mark of grace. But there's a second John gives that to us in verse 1 again. He says, And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey His commandments. So the second mark of grace is that you love other Christians. You love your fellow believers not because they're like you, because they share your ethnicity or your interests or they're fun to be with, but simply because they have been born of God and they claim your love for that specific reason. And John is quite adamant about this. Just look at what he says here in 1 John 3, verse 14. 
We know that we have passed out of death into life. How do we know that we have passed out of death into life? Well, this, because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. It doesn't matter what your theology is, how sound it might be, how accurate you are, how able you are to articulate the fine points of Christian doctrine. Whoever does not love his brothers abides in death, is what our Lord says. 1 John 4 verse 20, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. So the second mark of grace is that I love my brothers and sisters despite all of their infelicities and idiosyncrasies and the ways they wrong me and the way they rub me wrong and the the things that bother me. I love them because Christ loved them and gave himself for them. I love them because they are born of God. And then there's a third mark that John gives. And again, you'll find it in verse 3 of chapter 5. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. And so you examine your life, and you ask yourself the question, can I say with the psalmist of Psalm 119, oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation day and night. Can we, can we say with the psalmist of Psalm 19 that your law is sweeter than honey, than honey from a honeycomb. It is of more value than gold, than, than much fine gold. That is, do you delight in the law of God? Do you find obedience to Him a joy? Listen to what John says in the second chapter, very starkly. In 1 John 2 verse 3, and by this we know that we have come to know Him. How do I know that I have come to know God? This is how. That we keep His commandments. And goes on to say, whoever says, I know Him, but does not keep His commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But, in, but whoever keeps His word, in Him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. So John is saying this. Examine yourselves. Look at yourselves. Watch your life. Not necessarily specific instances alone because that can betray us. But look at the trajectory of your life. Look at your, your overall disposition towards the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you cherish Him? Do you love Him? Do you love His Word and love His worship and love His sacrifice? Have you, have you entrusted yourself completely to the Lord Jesus Christ? And, and what about the brothers and sisters? Do you love them? Or are you prone to be hypercritical and bear grudges against them? 
And what about the commandments of God? Is it your joy to obey the law of God? You see, what the Apostle John is saying is that none of these things are natural. By nature, we hate God and reject the gospel of Christ. By nature, we hate our neighbors. By nature, we will not submit to God's authority. We resist it. We rebel against them. We want to go our own way. But if we see the other things in our life, that there's a love for Christ and his brothers and his church and his law, well, the only reason that could be in our lives is because from before the foundation of the world, God has set his love upon us and has chosen us to be his own. And then throughout the history of our life, he has brought us to the Lord Jesus Christ, the one whom he has given in love to save the elect. And he has worked these things by his grace in us so that if we see these things in us, we can only conclude that we must be chosen. Because if God had never chosen me, I would never have chosen for him. And if God had not loved me from before the foundation of the world, I would never have loved him in time. If God had not elected me, I would never have selected him. These are fruits of election that I see in my life. Children, to go back to the illustration, you don't know if your parents have chosen you, but if they say to you, will you please pack your suitcase, and will you please get dressed, and will you please get in the car, and do you see that you're on your way to the airport in Calgary, and then you see that you go to gate D29, and then you get onto the plane, you see all these, these things happen in your life, then you can only conclude, I must be going to Rome, or none of these other things would have happened. They would have left me home with Auntie Frederick, Frederina, Auntie somebody. How'd that happen? If, 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 if I weren't chosen, then I would have been left at home with someone. But I'm not at home. I can see that they've chosen me, and, and they're working out their choice in my life so that with confidence you can know that in nine hours, direct flight from Calgary to Rome, you'll be there. That's what the gospel says to us. If you can see the marks of grace in your life, you can conclude that God has chosen me because had he not, there would be no marks of grace. Now, I want to conclude this evening with three pastoral concerns. Perhaps some of you are sitting here, and in a moment of honesty, you're saying to yourself, you know, I, I don't actually trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior. It's not that I dislike Him. Don't, don't get me wrong, but, but I just haven't abandoned myself to Him. I still have too much self-confidence and self-righteousness. I think I'll be okay without Him. And, and, and truth be told, do I love the brothers? Well, I do, but I do because they're like me. They, they share my background. They enjoy the things that I do. It's not, it's not that I love them because God loves them. And then when you think about the commandments, you, you confess. You actually, if there weren't any repercussions to, 
disobeying the commandments. I would probably disobey them, but, but I'm afraid to, so I keep them in a, in, in a, in a way uh, enough to salve my conscience. But, but if the truth be really known, if you oppress me, I'd say, no, I actually don't love the commandments of God. That's possible. And I want to say to you this evening that, that you shouldn't conclude from that that you're not elect. Because when the Apostle Paul was cursing and persecuting the church and arresting the saints of God and taking them into prison, he was elect. You know, God had chosen him from before the foundation of the world, but he wasn't saved at that moment. And I'm saying that that could be the case with you. In fact, if you don't have these marks of grace, that is the case with you. You're not saved. You, you might be elect. You, you ought not to conclude that you're not elect and despair and say, well, it doesn't matter anyways. If I'm not elect, there's nothing I can do. No, That's, that question is, is not one that you ought to occupy yourself with. The question you ought to occupy yourself with is, what am I going to do with the Lord Jesus Christ? Because he welcomes you with open arms. He says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And, and even if you aren't laboring and heavy laden, if, if life is just okay the way it is, and you never concern yourself with whether you're a Christian or not, you think somehow it's all going to be okay at the end. He says, come to me anyways. Come freely. Drink of the water of life. Come to the Lord Jesus Christ. Because Christ is the mirror of election. You cannot know you're a Christian if you do not come to Christ. Or you cannot know you're elect if you do not come to Christ. And you cannot be saved except you come to the Lord Jesus. This is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and that life is in His Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. If you do not have the Son of God, He offers Himself to you and invites you to take Him this evening. Don't wait another minute. Take Him now as your Savior. And then I want to address those who wonder whether they're Christians and perhaps are sometimes anxious about it. And there are more of these types of Christians than you might think. Not everyone is always confident that they are elect. And I've said that we ought to look within ourselves to see if there are the marks of grace. And that's true. But there are other considerations that we need to make. And that is that Satan is always attacking the children of God. He's always harassing them. He's always seeking to undermine your confidence. He distorts who God is so that you think, oh, there's no way that I could be elect because uh, there's no way that God loves me. And so you need to be aware of that. It's an ongoing struggle. We struggle not with flesh and blood, but with principalities and powers in the heavenly places. We're not unaware of the schemes of Satan. And then there's your own character that you have to struggle with and figure out. Some of us are self-confident, but some of us are super critical about ourselves. And we look at ourselves, and, and we only see 
how bad we are, how negative we are, and how lacking in any grace we are. And that can be a real problem, of course, because if we're to look in ourselves for assurance and all we see is darkness and blackness and sin, that, that will throw you into despair. So, so be aware of, of your tendencies. You know, some of us are more pessimistic than others. The glass is always half empty rather than half full. We look both ways on a one-way street. Or look at the time of life in which you're asking these questions. Sometimes uh, we can be so tired and so weary with life that uh, it's easy to get down about anything, much less about things of this importance. So we need to be careful when we look at ourselves. We could uh, perhaps fall into sin and, and say, that's it. It's just proof. If, if I were a believer, I would never act like that. Well, no. Even believers act like that sometimes. And when you fall into sin, what you do is look not at the sin that you have fallen into, but your response to it. Because it can be, this is the strange thing, you know, the way the Lord works in our life, but you can fall into sin and become so grieved and burdened by it, so lamenting it, so crying out for mercy, that the sin might suggest that you're an unbeliever and not chosen. But the response of humility and repentance and trusting in the Lord Jesus is is proof that you have. So I just want to say, be careful about when and how you examine yourself. Be with trusted Christian friends of spiritual maturity who will help you, who will encourage you to see things that perhaps you cannot see yourself. And above all, and I've, I've said this so many times to, to myself and to so many other people, the wise words of Robert Murray McShane, for every one look at yourself, take ten looks at the Lord Jesus Christ. And in fact, this is the most important thing that you can do. Yes, it's important whether we love the brothers and love the commandments of God, but the chief evidence of faith, and therefore the chief evidence of election, is that I cling to my Savior Jesus Christ and will not let him go, come what may. For every one look at yourself, take ten looks at Christ, and look with spiritual joy and holy delight in yourself to see the fruits of election. And then the third thing I want to say is this, that assurance that you are elect is not necessary for salvation. Christ saves, Christ alone, not you knowing that you are saved. That doesn't necessarily save you. In fact, the the wise leaders in the church throughout the history have have said, even as as the canons say, that… that assurance is given to the chosen in due time, though by various stages and in differing measure, so that some Christians might have strong assurance, might, might never have doubted a day in their life that, 
that they had been elected by God and chosen from before the foundation of the world. And other Christians are just so weak and frail, they, they've never had the confidence to say that they are elect. It's not necessary for salvation. It will make a profound effect upon your salvation. Upon, not on, it will make a profound effect upon your Christian life. Because if I can know that God, before the foundation of the world, merely out of love and not for any reason in me, has set his love upon me, and it's a love that will never let me go, well, that would lead to profound humility in my life. Why? Why did you choose me, O God? It will give me joy and confidence as I weather the storms of life knowing that God has me in the grip of his hand. He has chosen me. He will never let me go. And it will make me want to offer the totality of my life to serve such a kind and gracious God who in love has chosen me before the foundation of the world so that I might have eternal life and so that I might know I have eternal life. May God bless his word to our hearts for our encouragement and refreshment in the faith. Let us pray together. Dear God and gracious Father in heaven, we thank you that you know us inside and out. You know our presumptions, our arrogance, our self-confidence that plagues even your children. And you know those children who are doubting, who are wavering, who are fretful, who are weak, who feel unloved and are unsure. And we ask you that you would minister to us according to our needs, that you would humble the proud, that you would encourage the distressed, and that we might, above all, be clinging to the Lord Jesus Christ, believing in the name of the Son of God, so that we might have life. And going through our lives, confident not in ourselves, nor even in what we see in ourselves, but confident in the Lord Jesus Christ, our sin bearer. And we pray this in our Savior's name. Amen.